0: Well, when the teacher is away, the kids the kids will play, right? Uh, the kids will even go cray. I, I was a substitute teacher for about a year in college, and I'm just telling you, when, when the teacher is away, the kids will play and they will go. Cray, I learned in a year of substitute teaching that teachers should be the highest paid people in the entire country because they deal with my crazy kids and your crazy kids, all right? Uh, that's what I learned in a year of substitute teaching in college. And it's interesting, right? Like when you would show up for class and you had a substitute teacher, weren't you like, you probably like me. Yes, right? Yes, she's gone, he's gone. We've got this poor sap. They don't even know what's coming for them, right? This substitute teacher, the teacher's away. The coach is away. The parents are out. We got a babysitter. Yes. Right. We're going to, we're, we're ruling the house. When the teacher's away, the coach, the, the parents away, the kids will play and even go cray. I, when I was substitute teaching one time, I had a kid so mad that he came up to me ready to fight me. He wanted to fight me. Right. And I I had to send him to the office, but he wanted to fight. Like, Like, that's what happens when the teacher is away. Well, here's what Jesus is going to say today. Like, the way that you live, the way that you act, while the teacher, like capital T, capital H, capital E, capital T, teacher, right? The teacher, Jesus. Like, when the teacher's away, like the way that you act, the way that you live while the teacher's away, it reveals who you are, first of all, And secondly, it reveals whether you're going to be rewarded or not. Like the way that you live while the teacher, like while Jesus, the son of God, like while he's away because he's going to return. So so the way that you live and act and the things that you pursue, like while he's away, it reveals who you are and whether or not you're going to be rewarded or rewarded How much? We're in the middle of a series. We're going through the gospel of Luke verse by verse, and we're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying it in our city groups. Now's a great time to get into one of our small group Bible studies we call city groups. They're going to talk about these same verses this week. We're going to discuss these same verses this week in our daily devotionals this week, Monday through Friday on our app under the Bible study tab. We offer daily devotionals Monday through Friday that will break down these same verses. And then we challenge you to study the gospel of Luke this week as a family using the table talk. The table talk is a resource under the Bible study tab on our app. Your kids, your students right now are learning these exact same passages. And so the Table Talk allows you to get together as a family and discuss everything that the Lord taught you this week in church. So we're inviting you to study the gospel of Luke with us. Our hope in this series as we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, is to be drawn up to Jesus. There is so much in our culture, especially on social media, that's trying to pull you to the left or pull you to the right. And in our study of the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're just hoping that we just kind of raise up out of that maloo, right? And we put our eyes, we fix our eyes on Jesus. You've probably noticed that conservatives have their Jesus, the exclusive and and transforming Jesus. Progressives have have their Jesus, the inclusive and affirming Jesus. And and what we said all throughout this series that that neither really has a hold on Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus could never be explained or defined by a social media post or by a graphic or by a meme. We've said if you, as you get to know the full counsel of the word of God and what it has to say about Jesus, like you're going to discover like my Jesus, your Jesus, like it just doesn't cut it. And so we're diving into what the gospels say about Jesus, specifically the gospel of Luke, so that hopefully we're getting to know the real Jesus. And we're, we're learning the full counsel of what the word of God has to say about Jesus. And here's what Paul said about getting to know the real Jesus. It's better than anything else. Like there's nothing that compares. Paul said in Philippians 3, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Nothing compares to knowing Jesus. And we kind of talked about that last week, right? That that there's nothing in this world like getting rich. Nothing in this world compares to being rich, to knowing Christ. There's nothing better, Paul said. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we're hoping is that you're going to discover that there's nothing better than knowing Jesus as we study the gospel of Luke. Now today, I promise is going to shock you. Like there's just no way around it. It's going to shock you. And I'm going to be honest and say, I've never preached on the implications of this passage in 21 years of ministry. I've, I've never preached on some of the things that we're going to talk about today of, of the implications of the passage that we're about to study. And the reason for that is because a lot of my ministry was devoted to topical preaching. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong, but our church has made the decision to preach preach exegetically, which means we're going verse by verse and we explain it because it just forces you to deal with things you would never choose to deal with. Right. And so today we're going to talk about something that you may have never heard before. And that's very sad and it's very scary. Because the implications of this passage today are a little scary. And my guess is is a lot of you have never heard this before. Parts of it you will, but, but a lot of it maybe, especially towards it, like there's a good chance you've never heard these things before, and that is super, super scary. I told our team this week, it's interesting that as we've preached through the Bible, like verse by verse, I said, it's interesting. I'm talking about things and I'm saying things over the last two or three years that I never talked about or never said before. And that's an indictment on me. And it's scary that people are growing up in churches and they're not getting the full counsel of the word of God. And they're not hearing things like we're going to talk about today. That is super scary. I said this week to our team like, we're gonna talk about things this week and it doesn't like, it doesn't feel too good. Like I'm just, I'm just giving you like a heads up. You're, you may leave like, man, that that wasn't like super encouraging, like that. That right, that wasn't super inspiring. It's actually maybe a little bit, a little bit, a little bit scary. And, and you're gonna have a choice. Like I'm gonna set the choice up for you right now. Like you got, you can, you're gonna respond in one of two ways. Like I didn't like that, and I don't like him for telling me that. And I'm just gonna ignore it, and it will be to your own detriment and demise. Or you're going to leave and say, man, that that was rough, that was tough, Uh, man, the, the Holy Spirit was really convicting me today, and I'm going to embrace that and step into that and walk through that and find on the other side of that is joy and peace and freedom and satisfaction and riches and depth like you've never known. We have grown so weak in American Christianity that when we face conviction, we, we, we just run from it rather than stepping into it and embracing it. And I just want to challenge you right now, like before we even dive in, like step into, like engage, like lean forward into what we're talking about today. It's going to be rough, but we're going to make it through it. I promise. So Luke chapter 12, we're starting in verse 35. Would you stand in honor of the word of the Lord Last week, I told you this, and I want to remind you that in Psalm 138, here's what God says. I have exalted above all things my name and my word. God has told us that he has exalted his word above all things. And Jesus said, you will always have my words. Like the grass and the flower, they're going to fade away, but you will always have my word will remain forever. And so what we have here is the word of God. And so we honor it, we celebrate it, and we submit ourselves under it. Luke chapter 12, verse 35, be dressed ready for service, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, watch this. He will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into you also must be ready all the time for the son of man will come when least expected. Peter asked, I love this, Lord, is that illustration just for us or or is it for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks my master's not going to be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? Their master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. You can have a seat. Jesus says, I'm leaving. He tells his disciples over and over again, like, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise. I'm going to leave. And at one point, the disciples are upset about his leaving. And Jesus is like, listen, it's better if I go, because if I go, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and I'm going to be with each of you. Right. And so it's better if I go. But Jesus makes them this promise, like, I'm going, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to return. And Jesus is saying here that some people are going to live like he's not going to return. Some people are going to live their lives like, like Jesus isn't coming back. Here, here's what Jesus is telling us here. That, that his return should cause his people, should cause his servants, his return should cause his servants to live with a healthy fear of his return. Why a healthy fear? Because a healthy fear of his return will completely change how you live today. A healthy fear of that day will help you live a godly life and it changes how you live today. That day changes everything about today for the faithful servant. That day changes everything about today. So, so, so what does that look like? How, like, how do we live this out? What, 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 what changes are we going to see if we, if we live in light of that day? How are we always going to be ready? Like Jesus said, like, how are the faithful servants always going to be ready? How are they going to be prepared? And I love what Peter says. He's like, is this going to be on the test? Like, is it for them or for us? Like, like who's, who, what's, what's going to be on the, t- is this going to be on the test? And it's like, Jesus here is giving us the answers to the test. Like, like, not that there's gonna be a checkbox that you have to meet in order to be like considered this, this faithful servant that's rewarded, but here's what Jesus is saying: faithful servants are faithful servants. And faithful servants that that serve the Lord and show themselves to be real disciples are going to be rewarded. And in other things, like in in other, in other words, like these things are going to identify. Real disciples of Jesus, like, like the fake from the authentic, the, the faithful from the unfaithful. So, so, so what, are, what are some of these things? What is Jesus saying? What, what, what does it look like to live in light of that day? How does that change today? Well, number one, we live in a life of waiting. A life of waiting. And this is where you can fill in the blank on our app, the City Church Lubbock. You click message notes, all the verses and the points and the quotes, everything is there. And you fill in the blank with these words here in all caps. But, but number one, this is a life of waiting. Do you see where Jesus said, like these servants, these faithful servants, they're gonna keep their lamps burning. They're waiting for their master to return. They're ready when he arrives. These servants who are ready and waiting, Jesus says, are going to be rewarded. Ready all the time, for his return. But, but the servant, Jesus said, who doesn't live in light of his impending return is going to be punished. Like, like they're going to reveal that they aren't really believers. They aren't really disciples. Like, like they're, they're not waiting and they're not anticipating that day reveals that they aren't who they say they are. Like they're just fooling themselves. They, they deceive themselves into thinking there's something that they're not. It's not that they were faithful servants and because they didn't wait enough that all of a sudden they, they've, they're, they're not faithful servants. No, Jesus said that their lack of waiting, that their, their, their lack of waiting on that day reveals that they were never really servants to begin with. They were fooling themselves into thinking they're they're, they're something they're not. You see, there's this waiting, there's this hoping, there's this looking forward to the return of Jesus that marks disciples of Jesus. It's just just who we are. Like in Luke chapter one and two, we find that there are many like faithful people of God, this this remnant of God, these faithful Jews who are awaiting the first advent of Christ. They're awaiting the the kingdom. They're awaiting their Messiah. We we read about Zechariah, right, and Simeon, and and Anna. And here's what it says in Luke one and two about these three, that they are awaiting the kingdom of God. They're waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. And and so the same thing is true for you and I, that the faithful remnant of God today, like, like the people of God are waiting on the second advent when Jesus will return. And this This waiting, this hoping, this looking forward, it marks disciples of Jesus. Paul said it like this in Romans 8. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day. Like, I I love that. It's not just you and me as believers. Like, all creation, Paul says, like the earth, the universe, like everything in all of creation is awaiting that day when Jesus will return and the old will be gone and the new will come. That all of creation is waiting to be made new. All creation is waiting on this day when that future day, Paul says in Romans 8, when God will reveal, watch this, in Romans 8 it says this, when God will reveal who his children really are. Like like there's some people who are fooling themselves. They they think they're Christians because maybe they've shown up some and and they claim to be Christian, right? And and, and because they live in America or because you live in Texas or because you live in Lubbock, like like you think you're a Christian. but, But Paul says on that day, like it's going to be made known. Like who is just faking it? Who is going through the motions? Who is deceiving themselves? And who are really faithful disciples of Jesus? Like on that day, it's going to be revealed. No one will be able to fool themselves anymore. See, there's a, there's a day coming, Paul says. In, in, in Philippians 3, Paul says it like this, but we are citizens of heaven. So. so We don't don't belong to this world anymore. We're we're citizens of, of heaven. But we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, Paul says in Philippians 3, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. We're citizens of heaven and we're eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. Hebrews 13 says it like this, for this world is not our permanent home. And praise God for that this broken, sinful, evil world with tragedy and disaster and calamity, right? That this world is not our home. Hebrews 13 says, for we are looking forward to a home yet to come. A home, a new home, new heavens and a new earth, a home yet to come to come. And so there's this dynamic in believers and like we don't get wrapped up in all the stuff in this life and the materialistic pursuits like like that's not who we're supposed to be. Like because this isn't our home, we don't get too distracted with with the affairs of this life. No, we we've got a home that is yet to come. And so it says in Hebrews 11 about Abraham and these people of faith it said they were aliens and strangers in this world. They didn't consider this to be their home. And it says in Hebrews 11, they were looking forward to a heavenly country. A city whose architect is God. That's going to come down out of heaven to earth one day. that's, That's our home. This isn't our home. No, we're looking forward to a home yet to come. But, but we're not just lazily sitting around, like gazing out the window, right? Like looking to the clouds. No, what do, no, what do waiters do? Waiters serve. And so... That's the, the second thing. That's what it looks like to live this out, like the, to live in light of that day. We, we, there's a life of serving. We, we live a life of serving. That's what it looks like to be a, a devoted, like faithful disciple, this faithful servant that Jesus is talking about. There's this life of serving. Do you notice in this passage, disciples of Jesus are called servants that have a master. We're, we're called, if you're a Christian, like if you're, you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus is calling you A servant. Like that's supposed to mark us, that, that we are servants of Jesus. We're servants of the, the kingdom of God, and we have a master. To serve, as faithful servants. will'll stand before God one day and we'll hear, "Well done, good and faithful. What? Servant. Servant. Not, not well- done, good and faithful. watcher. Not well done, good and faithful attender. Not well done, good and faithful consumer, right? No, well done, good and faithful servant. There's this life of service that that, that marks faithful disciples of Jesus. Paul, in every one of his letters, you might have noticed, starts it with saying, Paul, a what? A servant. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, they start their own letters. with James, servant of Jesus. Jude, servant of Jesus. You never graduate from being a servant of Jesus. You never graduate from serving Jesus, from serving the church, serving the lost, serving the the marginalized. We never graduate from serving. Jesus says it like this, servants manage the house. It's talking about the the house of the Lord, the kingdom of God. They manage the house and they feed other servants. They, they, they bless other servants. They care for other servants. They love other servants. These are disciples of Jesus that serve the Lord by making disciples. They're about the business of the kingdom of God, the, the Jesus mission to go and make disciples. They're about serving those that aren't followers of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says about these servants that manage the house and feed other servants. They will be rewarded. Your service will be rewarded. But Jesus says this, servants that party and don't carry out the instructions will be punished. In other words, they're going to reveal that they were never really servants of God to begin with. These are people who think they're Christians, but they're busy with their own kingdom and with their own comfort and pleasure that they don't concern themselves with the kingdom business. And it just reveals that they are not really disciples of Jesus. They just aren't who they think they are. They've deceived themselves into thinking they're something or not because they attend something and they think this is a club. That if I attend there, and if I sign something, and if I call myself a Christian, then I must be. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No, No, that's not the way this works. Some are fooling themselves. Some have deceived themselves into thinking they're they're something they're not. Jesus said this, I came to serve and not to be served. (laughs) Have you caught that? Like, that Jesus's life and ministry was about serving, serving people that didn't deserve it. Jesus said, I came to serve, not not to be served. And and I just want to think about how kind of this, 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 this works out in our daily lives, like here today in 2023 in America. Like, I just want you to think about your expectation of the church. What is your expectation of the church? Like, it's usually not, I'm not, I'm not saying this is true for all of you. I'm just saying it's usually not showing up and I'm here to serve. No, it's usually like I show up somewhere and I'm looking for how is this church gonna serve me and my family? Not how can I and my family, like how can we serve and invest and plant ourselves here? How can we serve? That's usually not what we're thinking. Like we see this in, in, in other ways, like with This kind of idea of community and family and connection in the church. We usually show up to a church and we're like, man, I'm looking for a place I can get connected. And I, I totally understand that and I totally get that. And those feelings are totally warranted. But how often are we thinking about showing up and having the mindset of how can I make other people feel connected? You see, one's kind of more about me. One's a little bit more about serving me. The other one is I'm I'm here to serve and not to be served. Uh, I, I, instead of, I need to get connected. No, it's how can I get others connected and hang with me here for just a second. And what if, what if your level of feeling connected, what, what if your level of feeling connected is directly tied to and connected to your making other people feel connected? It, just think about it. if Jesus came to serve and not to be served, if, if, if Jesus came to connect people to the, to the kingdom of God by, by serving them, then what if our mindset changed in our expectation of, of like of our church body, of our church family, like instead of how are you going to serve me and how are you going to get me connected? It was how am I going to help other people feel connected? And, and what if in turn, and I, I think you'll find this to be true. What if in turn, as you did that, you started to feel more connected? serving Mark's disciples of Jesus. Third, life of waiting, life of serving, a life of stewarding. This, is this, this marks faithful servants of their master, a life of stewarding. Jesus says this, you've been entrusted with a lot. Like you're in charge of a lot of things and you're like, Bro, I don't. I don't own a lot. Um, I don't know what he's entrusted me with. Like I never remember making this deal with God, where I, he's entrusted me with some things and and he's put me in charge of some different things. Well, well, all the way back in Genesis chapter one, God creates everything. It's good. He's the creator. He's the owner. And then he makes Adam and he makes Eve. And what do they do? They they tend that garden. And here's what God says to Adam. And Eve, be fruitful and multiply and exert dominion over the earth. That that, that word there, that that idea, that concept of the owner and creator giving something to Adam and Eve to manage and to govern for him. That's, That's the idea there is to govern it is the idea of stewardship. They weren't the owners, but God gave him, them, what he created and what he owned to manage, to govern. We use the word today to steward for him. So, so everything that you have, God owns and you are to be the steward of it. He's the owner, we're the steward. And you're like, well, what has what he given me? Well, well, first of all, the, every resource you've got, like the breath in your lungs, the strength in your body, God gave that to you to steward for his glory. You've got time here on this earth to steward for the glory of God, to be a, a faithful servant with. You've got skills and talents that God has given you, whether it's in a, a job or a certain field or whatever. Those are not to end on you and just about making money. No, those are skills and talents that God has given you to steward for his glory. You've got money that God has blessed you with. You don't own any of it. Not one cent that you've got is yours. It's all God's. You're the steward of it. You're the steward of that paycheck, it's not just to provide for your family. Yeah, sure, you do some of those things with it, but it's to steward for the glory of God. You've got a, a business maybe that you own or a job that you have, and you're to, you're to steward that, you're to govern that responsibility, that charge that God has given you. Yeah, sure, you may work for a boss, but, but, but your boss is ultimately Jesus who's given you that job, who's given you that business to steward for the glory of God. Of God, You've got physical resources. You've got spiritual resources. You've got a story. You've got a testimony of how you came to faith in Christ. And you're to steward that story by telling other people about how you came to faith in Jesus. Your your story, your testimony is so, so powerful. You've got a gift of the Holy Spirit. When you gave your life to Jesus, Ephesians 1 tells us, Corinthians teaches, Roman teaches, that you received a gift of the Holy Spirit. This past summer, we did a series on the doctrine of the church, and we talked about each spiritual gift and what they're like, and and how you can kind of step into that and walk in that. And so, if you're kind of struggling there, I encourage you to go back and listen to that series on the doctrine of the church from this past summer, summer 2022. But you've been given a gift of the Holy Spirit to use for the glory of God. You've got a Bible. (laughs) You've got a Bible with the words of God in it. You know, not everybody has a Bible. Our our church supports ministries that are translating the the Bible into native languages of people groups that, that have never seen or touched or read a Bible. But you, you have a Bible. You've been entrusted with so much. You've got the word of God. And so have you been neglecting that? Or have you been stewarding that resource well by studying it and diving into it and meditating on it and praying it and memorizing it? You've got a Bible. You've got prayer. You've got a great high priest in Jesus who gives you a way right to the throne of God where you can cry out to God in prayer and the scripture says God will hear you 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 get to pray and speak with God what a spiritual resource to steward Philippians 2 says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling not not work for but to work it out like we we have been saved, we are children of God, and so from that place, we work out our salvation, Paul says, with fear and trembling, as we grow in faith, as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, with all these resources that God has given us to grow in our faith, as we steward those, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You have a a calling on your life. Maybe to do something specific could be to adopt. It could be to foster a child. It could be to go to an unreached people group and tell people who've never heard about Jesus, the name of Jesus. It it, it could be any, it could be to give extraordinarily. It could be to give up something specific for the kingdom of God. God is going to call you and lead you and guide you and direct you in different ways to do things, maybe even crazy things for the glory of God. And so you, you got a calling to steward and you're like, but, but, but what about them? Like, I feel like God's calling me to give up this or to do this. and like, But what about them? Peter said that one time to Jesus. Jesus was telling Peter everything that he was going to do. And Peter's like, hey, but what about those guys? And here's what Jesus said to Peter. What's that to you? Like, I'm calling you to do this. I'm talking to you. We do that to our kids all the time, right? Like, hey, don't worry about them. I'm talking to you. God's going to call you by his spirit, like to do Different things. It's going to look differently for all of us. And you've got to steward that call for the, for the glory of God. You've got the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 9. Preaching the gospel is something that has been trusted to me to steward for him. And you're like, okay, that's great, Clayton. That's Paul. Like, that's you. Like, y'all preach the gospel, right? No, 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 no. We, we've all been called to Preach the gospel. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5 we're all ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal to the world through you. Through you. God is making his appeal to your circle of influence through you. You've got the gospel of Jesus Christ to steward. It's not supposed to end with you. You've been blessed with the gospel to bless other people with the gospel. You've got a family. Moms, dads, you've got a family that God has entrusted to you. To steward for the glory of God. And dads, you've got the primary role in that stewardship. And you might be thinking, hey, I steward my family well. Like, we've got a great house. My, my wife drives a great car. Like, like we, we provide for our kids. Our kids are involved in, in all of these different things. No, no, no. Stewarding your family is not about stuff. It's not about sports. It's not about school. It's not about a, a job. It's not about their grades. Not, not, not at least primarily. No, it's about stewarding them spiritually. It's saying, I'm following Jesus, and I want you to come with me. And, 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 and modeling that desire in your heart by selflessly serving your family, just like Jesus did. Selflessly serving everybody that he came in contact with makes that invitation so much more appealing. And so dads, are you stewarding your family by loving and following Jesus and inviting your family to come with you? You see, the greatest invitation that you could possibly make to your family to follow Jesus with you is to serve them selflessly. But dads, you're, you're not gonna give an account to God on the car that your wife drives, on the house that you live in, on your son's batting average, your son's fastball, or your daughter's backflip. And you're like, Clayton, like, why, why those things? It's because that's what the Lord's been dealing with me on this week. You're not gonna be held accountable for those things. I'm not gonna be held accountable for those things. No, you're gonna give an account of how you led your family spiritually. And so dads, maybe, maybe we need to be more concerned with our kids' knowledge of the word of God, their love for Jesus than we are their batting average. Because to whom much is given, much is required, much is expected. You see, When Jesus returns or when you stand before God one day, it's not going to matter how smart you are, how much money you have, how powerful you are, how strong you are. It won't matter how good you were at baseball or any of those things. Those things are going to get you nowhere in and of themselves except for how you stewarded those things. You are going to stand before God and give an account of your life. Romans chapter 14, Paul says it like this for we will all stand before God's judgment seat so then each of us will give an account of himself to God Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body whether good or bad this word Used for judgment seat in the original Greek here in Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 5, the Greek word is bema, the bema seat, the judgment seat. A bema was a raised platform for which judges sat to view athletic games. Their job, their job was to make sure contestants followed the rules and to present awards to the victors. You think about it like the Olympic Games. The Bema was never a place to reprimand the athletes or to punish them in, in, in any way. It was a place of testing and reward. The Bema or the judgment seat of Christ involves a time in the future when all believers will give an account of themselves to Christ. This warning in Luke 12, in Romans 14, in 2 Corinthians 5, this warning is for Christians. not necessarily for underbelievers. This warning is for Christians. As Jesus taught in his parable, the master's gonna return, at which time he will require an account from his servants about how they've managed the things, how they've stewarded the things in the life that God has given them. This Bema seat judgment will happen. Scholars debate sometime either before the millennium When Jesus returns and reigns here on earth or after the millennium and before the eternal state where there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And so scholars debate, well, will it happen then or or is it going to happen after the millennium? And I love what John Piper said. He said, hey, let's just settle it like this. Sometime after you die and before the eternal state of new heavens and new earth, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to happen. Some are like, well, is it going to happen at the time of the great white throne of judgment when unbelievers are judged or is it a separate event? We don't know. Scholars debate each side. Each side's pretty compelling. Here's what you need to know. Sometime after you die and before the eternal state and the new heavens and new earth, you're going to stand before the judgment seat and you're going to give an account of your life. Every believer in Jesus will. This judgment is solely for Christ's followers. And it ought to motivate us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, like Paul said in Philippians 2. Not work from, or work work for, rather, but to work it out. The purpose of Luke 12, the purpose of Romans 14, of 2 Corinthians 5, the, the purpose here is that you and I as followers of Jesus might live in a manner, Paul would say, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 1 John 2 verse 28 says this, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from his name and shame. Full of courage and not shrink back. One scholar said this verse undoubtedly refers to the Bayman, to the Baman judgment. It shows there will be both boldness as a result of abiding and shame before the Lord as a result of failing to abide. The believer who fails to abide experiences shame by the revelatory nature of Christ's presence at the Bema seat. This is caused by the realization of what his own failure and sin cost him in terms of loss of reward and glory for the Lord. But this shame will be momentary or short-lived. One scholar gave this illustration to kind of help us understand that this moment, he said this, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bama seat might be compared to a commencement ceremony. At graduation, there's some measure of disappointment and remorse that one not did do better and work harder. However, at such an event, the overwhelming emotion is joy, not remorse. The graduate's Do not leave the auditorium weeping because they did not earn better grades. Rather, they are thankful that they have graduated and they are grateful for what they did achieve. To overdo, here's what you got to catch. Watch this. To overdo, here's what this one scholar said. To overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment seat, the shame aspect. To overdo that is to make heaven hell. Thinking that I'm going to always live in this eternal, perpetual, like, feeling of regret. And that is not characteristic of heaven. This sense of shame that probably a lot of us and most of us, if not all of us, are going to feel in some sense and to some measure when, when Christ returns or when we stand before the Lord. It's short and it's momentary. But here, here's what he said. To overdo the sorrow aspect of the judgment scene is to make heaven hell. But watch this. To underdo the sorrow aspect, the, the shame aspect of the Bema seat that is to come is to make faithfulness inconsequential. And so and so there's a balance here of rejoicing in the gospel and how Jesus' payment of my fine on the cross means my debt and my fine is paid in full. And yet at the very same time, the knowledge of the gospel, the the joy of the gospel and what it produces in me is this passion to live for Jesus, to serve Jesus, to live for the glory of God and to know that when he returns, yes, there will be a momentary blip on a radar of like shame and remorse that I didn't do more for the glory of God, but it will be replaced with everlasting joy. And so here's my challenge for you today. Here's the big idea. Live like you're going to stand before the seat. Live your life like you're going to stand before the seat because you are You're a follower of Jesus. You're going to stand before the judgment seat, the Bama seat of Christ, and you're going to give an account for your life, for your family, for the witness, for your story, for the resources that you've got, for your gift of the Holy Spirit, for the spiritual life that you've worked out with fear and trembling, for the calling of God on your life. You're going to give an account. And the Bible says this, that teachers, people like me, we will be judged more harshly. Why? Because chances are we probably, we knew a little bit more and we were entrusted with a little bit more. And so we will be judged harshly. That's why Paul tells Timothy, he tells Titus, like judge or or, hold your doctrine closely. Like, Make sure you've got right doctrine. Like make sure you're, you're, you're teaching the word and, and, and not your own ideas and concepts, right? Like, like watch your doctrine closely and, and, and pastor your church well because you will be held to a stricter standard. <laughs> pastor Brandon was reading my outline this week. He's like, I don't like that. I'm like, I, I don't either, if I'm being honest. But listen, if you've been here for very long, you know I don't always talk about the things that you want to hear. While I give an account like to our board of elders and I report to them, ultimately I'm gonna stand before God. I report to him, not to you. And so it's why we gotta talk about things that hurt our feelings sometimes. That's why we gotta talk about things that's gonna bring some conviction. I'm gonna stand before him. I'm gonna be judged harsher than you. But hear me, I think that plays out in some other areas too. So dads, sorry guys, you're gonna be judged more harshly than your wife for how you led your family. Like, come on, let's get real. not for their batting average, not for the car or house you provide for your family. Like you're, you're going to be judged on how you led your family spiritually. And that's a heavy, heavy thing. And It's nothing to make light of, but it's also nothing to skip over because I wouldn't be being a faithful servant to not tell you that, to not warn you of that. I think you're gonna be judged more harshly because you were entrusted with a little bit more. It's not that your wife wasn't entrusted to it's just you're entrusted a little, little bit more. And to whom much is given, much is required, much is expected. So the, the state of your family, the flourishing of your family, it falls more on you than it does your wife. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry to tell you that. You can run from that or you can embrace it and walk in it. Business owners, I think you're gonna be judged a little bit more harshly than your employees. More was entrusted to you, so more is expected. You're going to stand before God and give an account. Not one of you is exempt. And so we gotta gotta deal with this. We can't skip over this. We We gotta deal with this. And I know some of you are like, but Clayton, I thought I was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And you would be absolutely correct. Like Jesus paid for all of your sin, all of your shortcomings, all of your failures, all of your unfaithfulness. It was paid in full at the cross. This is something totally different. This is where you're gonna give an account for the things that you were entrusted with. John Piper said it like this, our deeds, our faithfulness will be the public evidence brought forth in Christ's courtroom to demonstrate that our faith is real. But you're the real deal. And our deeds will be the public evidence brought forth to demonstrate the varying measures of our obedience of faith. In other words, salvation is by faith and rewards are by faith. But the evidence of invisible faith in the judgment hall of Christ, at the bema seat of Christ, will be a transformed life. There will be evidence that you are who you say you are. Michael Byrd in his evangelical theology, his systematic theology, he said it like this. Good works are not the cause of salvation for that is exclusively the work of Christ. Rather, good works demonstrate the necessary evidences of a saving faith in the Savior. The final judgment shows that God himself has produced in believers the necessary evidences of authentic faith. Moreover, God assigns degrees of reward on the basis of how successfully believers have cooperated with his grace of renewal. There will be greater rewards for the more faithful servants. That's what the Bema Seat is all about. And so what a great gift. Your, Your faithfulness to God is going to be rewarded. What, what, a, what a grace, what a blood. We, we don't owe a thing and God's gonna reward you for your faithfulness to him. John Piper explained it kind of like this with this illustration, with this, with this picture. You remember the story of Solomon and the baby, the, the, the two mothers come and they're like, that, that's my baby. And the other one's like, no, no, that's my baby. You remember what Solomon does? He's like, okay, let's cut the baby in half and you can each take a half. And one's like, sweet, let's do it. And the other mom, what does she do? No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. She, she can take the baby. And what does Solomon do? He awards the baby to the mother that said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Like you, you, can, you can take the baby. Here, here's what John Piper said about this, this picture. What was Solomon looking for? He said this, he was looking for a deed. He wasn't looking for a deed that would earn the child. He was looking for a deed that would prove the child was already possessed. And and that's what's going to happen on this day. There's going to be deeds in your life. There's going to be a faithfulness to God that will reveal that you were possessed by God. You were a child of God. Salvation is owned by faith, but salvation is shown by deeds. Our, Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They're the evidence of our salvation. They're not the foundation. They're the demonstration. New birth always produces a new life. And so here's the reality. Some of us today are fooling ourselves into thinking we're something we're not. Like we're we're deceiving ourselves and Jesus tells us there's gonna be a lot of people like that in Matthew chapter seven. There's gonna be many of you say on that day, Lord, Lord, I did all this and I did this and I did this. And he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because there's some people who are thinking they belong to God, but they don't. They've deceived themselves into thinking there's something that they're not because maybe they go through the religious routine or maybe because they they prayed a, a sinner's prayer or they checked a card, friend. Read your Bible, Genesis to Revelation. That sinner's prayer is nowhere in the Bible. If you're holding on to the thought, well, I I, I prayed that prayer. This isn't magic. This isn't witchcraft. You don't get to say some words like an incantation and it change anything. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. But do you hear the confession there? Jesus is Lord, he's master, I'm his servant. The old is gone, the new has come. But, but, but please hear me. Just because you recited a prayer or checked a card or raised a hand means nothing. That is nowhere in your Bible and check me and prove it to me if you find otherwise. But that prayer is nowhere in the Bible that if you recite this prayer and say these words, then you're saved and you're good. That is not in your Bible. Luke 12, Jesus said the servants, the servants with no evidence, they're gonna be banished with the unfaithful. And so there's two responses today. Like I told you before, you can say, I don't like this. And I don't even like you for telling, telling me. So just forget it, shove it. Like I'm going to go about my life. Come on, let's get real. Who do you think you're dealing with? The Bible says when Jesus returns, his eyes are going to be like fire. There's going to be a sword coming from his mouth. There's a tat on his leg. This is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who do you think you're dealing with? He sees everything you've ever done and everything you've ever thought. Come on, let's get real. You're, you're ignoring this to your own detriment. You're walking away from it, blaming me when these are the red letters in your Bible. These are the words of God. Your problem is with Jesus. Your problem is with God, not with me. And so you can walk away and ignore this all you want. It changes nothing. Or you can embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit and live like you're gonna stand before the seat. Some of you are like, no, I, you know, just, you know, out of mind, right, I, I'm, just, I'm just gonna ignore this, like I'm just gonna go about my life. Even the thief on the cross said to the other thieves, don't, don't you fear God? Come on, let's get real, don't, don't you fear God? He, Hebrews 10 says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Don't, don't you fear God? Come on, don't ignore this. No, no embrace the conviction and walk in it and walk through it. And maybe today you'll realize for the very first time, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. I've just been playing a game. And man, if today's your day, let us know that. Go online, go on our app, fill out our connect form, let us know that you're committing your life to Christ, not because that saves you, you're just letting us know about something that God's done in your heart this morning. But either way, these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of God. One choice is going to result in shame and loss, and one's going to result in eternal reward. So I want to challenge you. Live today like you're going to stand before the seat on that day. Would you pray with me? God, I just pray that right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would you would speak to our hearts. You would draw us to yourself, God. And like, like Paul said, that... We, to the Corinthians, that we would examine ourselves and see whether we're really in the faith or not this morning. Whether we're, we're really the real deal or we've just been fooling ourselves. But God, I, I pray that Maybe in light of today, we we would live lives that are worthy of the gospel that we've already received, that that we would work out our salvation with with fear and trembling, and that that we would live like we're going to stand before the seat one day. Holy Spirit, would you move and work in our hearts, transform us from from the inside out. Thank you for this word.